Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Our scripture today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Jordan. Jordan is a junior-level intern with us from Southern Asian University in the Ministerial Intern Program. I went to get the microphone, because that's what I usually do at the close of the service. I go to get the microphone. So that's not what I'm supposed to do today, because my microphone's on my head. Um, I'm so glad you're here this morning. Jordan, can you do me another favor as one of our interns? Can you go grab the clicker in Brandon's box, and can you hand it to me? That would be great, because uh, I forgot that part of the part of the service. Where's... Uh, Andrew Clippert is also a junior level intern with us, right, through Southern Nazarene University. We didn't happen to make sure that you were in a prominent role and Jordan was in a prominent role the day that Doug Samples, your intern director, happened to be in the service. That was just not planned. But welcome, Doug and Cheryl. We're so glad you're here and so glad uh, for our interns and the prominence that they have here at the OKC First Church and Life of Our Church. Uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Imagine. Go ahead and go to that next slide for me, Chris. Um, uh, I am not the senior pastor here. I'm the associate pastor. Our senior pastor and his family is the Middendorf family. And aren't they beautiful? There's Taylor right there. Uh, where's Taylor? There's Taylor right there. I think Drew's probably with the junior leaders. There's Kelly. We're so glad you're here with us. Um, aren't they beautiful? They're not always that beautiful. Um, uh, but I love this picture of them. This looks maybe a little bit more like them. That's a little bit more of the Middendorf family that we're used to and we know and love. Um, and Pastor John has been leading us through, uh, I love Drew in this picture. Isn't Drew great in this picture? I'm bummed he can't see himself in that picture. Um, we're on a sermon series called Imagine. And uh, for those of you who haven't been here the last few weeks, you may be wondering what this is doing here. Well, this is uh, 40,000 milk cartons that's created a space shuttle. Uh, Kent Hathaway is a uh, school teacher at Mustang Elementary School, and this won a grand, national grand prize, I believe, for $5,000 for Mustang Elementary School. Uh, Kent has had the imagination and the creativity to put together the last three national contests, and he has actually won, Kent and, and his school has won the last three national contests because of things like this that were able to create um, something out of nothing, uh, which God does for us so many times. Um, and so we have a few more props we're going to go through today as we look at the Beatitudes. It's a beautiful passage. It's a strange passage. It makes no sense. So we're going to be looking at the fullness of the Beatitudes. Rather than looking at each individual Beatitude, we're going to be looking at the fullness of the Beatitudes and what it's trying to say to us in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gathers 
his disciples and others who followed him, and he's going to speak into their lives. And he begins this first famous sermon in Matthew with these words, blessed. Now, a bad translation perhaps for that would be happy. A better translation would be more wonderful news for or good tidings for. But the best way for us to understand the wholeness of the Beatitudes is to say, this is what reality looks like in the new age of the kingdom. For in Jesus, the kingdom has come on earth as it is in heaven. It's in the Beatitudes. It's in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is going to teach his disciples how to pray in Matthew. And we pray every week, and he taught his disciples to pray every week, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Go ahead and finish it for me. So we will, are to live as if the kingdom has broken into the now. And this is the story of the new rules of the kingdom. See, the Beatitudes are not ethical instruction. I've heard it like this before, and you may have too. I have a great New Testament prof who happens to be right there, Dr. Gerard Tashton, who when we studied Matthew, helped us to see that we're not supposed to leave here being more meek. We're not supposed to leave here and find more ways to mourn. We're not going to seek persecution. These aren't sort of telling us how to go about life. The ethical instruction of the Sermon on the Mount will come later. And the next two weeks in the, in the lectionary passages, Pastor John will be telling us how to live if we truly can believe that this is the new reality, that the new age of the kingdom has dawned, Christ has come, and the kingdom is here. He'll be telling us how to live those ways. Today, we're going to get a glimpse to understand, can we really believe that these are the new rules of the kingdom? So I'm not going to be leaving here you saying, ah, you can't be happy. You got to be able to go be mournful, and then you can be happy. That's not what we're leaving here with ethical instruction. We're going to try to understand, can we really believe that the new age has dawned and the kingdom has come? Can we believe and live into the new rules of the kingdom? Okay. So in this new way of being alive, there's a story that he's telling us. And this is a story that is shaping us of the Beatitudes. There are many stories out there that are shaping the way you believe to be alive. James K.A. Smith, or Jamie Smith, has a couple of great books. One's called Desiring the Kingdom. Another one's called Imagining the Kingdom. Highly recommend both of those books for you. I'm gonna say those again in case you wanna scribble that down or text it to yourself or make a note or do a Evernote or whatever, however you communicate with yourself. It's James K.A. Smith. He goes by Jamie. But his books are Desiring the Kingdom and Imagining the Kingdom. In Desiring the Kingdom, he has an incredible little liturgy. He talks about that there are liturgies and practices that take place all over the world. And so you, the way you go about life, whether you go to a stadium or to a mall or to the grocery store, that those have habits and practices that are shaping you. Just like we have habits and practices that shape us as people who go to church at OKC First Church. I just got done teaching an impromptu membership class through John Sunday School class the last couple of weeks. And we're going to have membership coming up on February 9th and 16th and 23rd in the atrium for those of you who are interested in becoming members at OKC First Church. And we ask you to be involved in certain habits and practices that shape you. Among those, we talk about spiritual formation like Bible reading and praying and giving away from yourself financially through tithe. We talk about ways in which we want you to be belong to one another. And we want you to give out and reach people um, in our community. In every story that you encounter, in every exercise that you go through, there are also habits and practices that are shaping you. And there's a defining story that goes down to how you are supposed to behave and how you're supposed to operate. 
And as I looked at this passage this week, and I looked at your lives this week, and looked at my lives this week, I saw a ton of different stories that were telling you what the reality of the world is. And I want to look at some of those. Some of you, when you left church last week, you didn't even get to the, you didn't even get to the first light before you forgot about the reality of the kingdom because the guy in front of you was supposed to turn left and didn't turn his blinker on and you already had your hand on your horn. You forgot that the kingdom even existed, right? It's easy to forget. In Disciple, we've been through um, looking at, uh, I'm one of our disciple teachers through spiritual direction and we've just finished the Old Testament, moving into the New Testament. We've had an incredible time looking through exile. Really my favorite part of the Old Testament is how the people of God, when they were taken away from their homeland and living in Babylon, how they were to live in a strange and foreign country with all these different habits and practices. And it was so easy for them to be caught up in the stories that were around them in Babylon and not be rooted and grounded in the practices of the people who followed Yahweh. And I think we're in a similar time. I think we live in a Babylon that has different stories that have different practices and we get so caught up in them and sometimes we may not even realize it, but they may have been taken over a story that shapes more of our lives than the very story of the gospel and the Beatitudes we find in the Sermon on the Mount. And so our story is different than other stories. And I wanna take you a little bit through the week you've had, the week I've had, and examine how it may be different from the kingdom that God is calling us to. So after you got home last week, on Sunday night, there was a TV show. It was about four hours long. It's called The Grammys. So I'm, just gonna, I'm gonna be asking you a little bit about, just to get a, just test your temperature. How many of you know and how many of you saw part, at least part or some of the Grammys? Let me see your hands. Okay, not very many of you saw a lot of the Grammys. I, I love music. I saw the Grammys. I, I see Jake back there. Um, this is uh, Pharrell in that wonderful hat. Looks like an Arby's hat to me. Um, uh, feels like an Arby's night tonight. Uh, and uh, he's with this odd group called Daft Punk. And they're receiving, uh, they're receiving a Grammy for uh, one of the most famous songs this year called Get Lucky. Um, and so it's an odd, it was a wonderful and odd presentation. But if you watch the Grammys, there's definitely a story that they're telling, right? It's about entertainment. It's about sexuality. Um, at the very end of the, of the whole Grammys, Queen Latifah um, held a marriage ceremony for 30 different couples. Um, and it was uh, set to a background of a song by Macklemore. At the end of that song... Um, she was giving this marriage ceremony and she had the couples exchange rings, but then Ryan Lewis, who's part of Mac, with, with, with Macklemore, came up and touches Queen Latifah on her back and kind of like, hey, wrap it up. There's not much time. We've got to get to the commercials because we know what this story is about. It's about money and self and it's about entertainment and sexuality. And so she comes up and she kind of wraps it up and they, she's like, Jewel, you're married. And they, all of these couples get married and they're crying and they're so excited. And there was something that was forgotten in this in this ceremony was the vow part. I found that very interesting. I hear some chuckles, right? And so in the importance of self and entertainment and happiness that comes with the marriage, sometimes we forget the vow part of marriage, right? And so that's a story that is shaping us as we watch and as we interact with the culture around us. So is it hard to believe as we watch this and as we're entertained and if we see how important the self is, it's hard for us sometimes to believe that blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. It's hard for us to believe blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. The very next night, 
Kevin Durant was playing at home against the Atlanta Hawks. I've got a couple of jerseys over here for us. I've got my Russell Westbrook jersey. I've got my wife's Kevin Durant jersey. My wife's Kevin Durant jersey did not fit on the, uh, on the little uh, model. Whoops. Um, and uh, many of you know, follow the thunder. Uh, maybe you're not into the arts and music, but maybe you're into sports. That night was an incredible night. Kevin Durant had scored over 30 points, 10 games in a row. They're on an eight-game winning streak. That night, uh, he hit a game-winning shot with just a few seconds left, things like 1.2 seconds left. And uh, my goodness, it was incredible. And I, I, many of you were there. My wife and I had a chance to be there at that game. And uh, we went crazy and we went wild. But there are habits and practices, right, that we take part in every time you go to the Thunder game. You go and you gather together, and then there's certain habits and practices that you go through as you pray before the service, and then as before the service, before the game. <laughs> it's very odd. It's a very odd practice we have here in Oklahoma City. I don't think there's another, I don't think there's another place that has you pray before a game. Uh, we sing the national anthem, right? And then you have opportunities to be entertained in those moments. And there's sort of liturgies and habits and practices that you go through um, at the end of that game. And, and I, I love Kevin Durant. This is not going to be a sermon, be like Kevin Durant. Although if you want to be like Kevin Durant and you're that good at basketball, I just, that'd be incredible. But something happened at the end of the game. Uh, I always record the game on TV and come home and watch it again because I'm, that's that weird. Um, I've obviously been shaped and formed with certain habits and practices, haven't I? But there was something at the very end of that game that was very interesting with Doris Burke, and she gave an interview with Kevin Durant, and I want you to see part of it, just the very end of her interview. What goes into a streak to get you to the level you've been at over these last 12 games? What goes into that, Kevin? Thank God. That's all I can say. Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, thank you. You have nothing to do with it. No, nah, nothing. It's all him. Thank you. Mike. Oh, isn't that interesting? Did you hear Doris Burke's reaction to his comment? Did you hear what she said? I want you to, re- I'm, I'm, you probably heard it. I want, and we're going to play it again. Go ahead and play it again. Listen to both of Doris Burke's reaction to the question that she asked after Kevin gives his answer. Go ahead and play that again for me. What goes into a streak to get you to the level you've been at over these last 12 games? What goes into that, Kevin? Thank God. That's all I can say. Jesus Christ. Okay, thank you. You have nothing to do with it. No, nothing. It's all him. Thank you. Mike. I I don't know if she was stunned by his humility, if she didn't believe it, but sometimes when we push, when we say, you know what, we've come for idol worship, right? We've come to wear the jerseys and participate and give our money and our time to this place, and that person deflects it and says it's about God, there is kind of a stunned reaction and a laughter, Right? Because the story that's being shaped by us is that we come and we gather and we spend our money and we worship at these, at, these, at these different altars. And it's so interesting to me that the reaction to a newspaper report, to a, to a TV reporter would be one of laughter and confusion and surprise. Because that's not the story that's been shaped and formed within us. So it's hard for us to believe. When we go to for moments of worship, that it's blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, that doesn't make sense. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. That's not the narrative that we take when we're being shaped and formed from all these habits and practices that exist in our world. That same night across town, 
there was an event called Bedlam, Bedlam Basketball. We had the Oklahoma Sooners versus the Oklahoma State Cowboys. And it was a, it was a great game. Um, your side may have won or lost, but as you look at this picture, many of you begin to take sides. It's defined by Bedlam, right? You take sides of where you belong. Either you're part of the, of the country of Orange, and you understand that we're an agricultural school, and you work hard, right? And you fight. You, didn't, you weren't given what you have. You're a hard worker. And you have Gallagher-Iba Arena, the history among there. Oh, my goodness, right? And so you have heroes that define who you are. Or you say, there's only one, right? And there's only one Oklahoma. And you say we're built on tradition and excellence and character. And you've got Jordan Woodard from Edmund Memorial High School. And you have this, the character of this young man. And you say, this is who we are. We are Oklahoma. There's only one. And so you begin to define yourself by either of these opportunities where that story is shaping who you are. We're going to get to Oregon later. Um, but sometimes we begin to be shaped and we begin to take sides and those stories shape how we operate in the world so it's hard for us to understand blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth when we go about life it's about how we can boast and where we find ourselves that very next night Tuesday night many of you gathered around your televisions and watched the State of the Union address Hashtag S-O-T-U. Thinks that's right. Um, And so we had this man, Barack Obama, give the State of the Union for about, I think it was about 45 minutes this this, this year. How many? Hour five. What what flew by for me? Um, uh, So as you see this picture of this man, you automatically have feelings in your heart, right? Wherever you stand on the political spectrum, the picture of Barack Obama giving the State of the Union address, you have lived into a story that either the culture or you, you have told yourself, and you have feelings right now about this man and about this country. And oftentimes, it's not often in the, in the middle way. So whether it's sports, or whether it's politics, or whether it's music, oftentimes we find ourselves in disagreement with what's right and what's wrong based upon the story that we've told ourselves or the story that's been told to us about how to live life in our culture. And oftentimes, that division becomes something that is so great that it causes disagreement between families, between friends, in Sunday school classes and within churches and our whole culture. We begin to fight because we're right and you're wrong regardless of where you stand. So it's hard for us to believe when we hear the words of the Beatitude. When this story is supposed to be shaping us, when there's so many others out there that have shaped us, that blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. There's one other liturgical practice I want to talk about. It's the liturgy of the mall. Um, yesterday, my, uh, my wife was working, and so at one point I took both of my girls to the mall, and we were on a scavenger hunt for as many different bags as we could find. Uh, so we went to as many stores as we could at Quell Springs Mall, 
and uh, found a bunch of bags. And there's some stores, store policy, we can't give you a bag. So uh, we was mad at those stores, and McCall was disappointed. But uh, the scavenger hunt with Berkeley and McCall, my little six-year-old and my one-year-old, was to find as many bags as we could have for this little display here for you, this shadow box of a, of a display. And I went there, and for about an hour, I studied the mall. And I found it interesting about what story is the mall telling us about how we to, are to operate in our lives. And so you drive to this massive complex, and it was really busy. And you walk around, and you see these mannequins that are dressed in a particular way. And the story goes, if you can just look like this, then you will be happy. If you can then go into that store and be greeted and have someone help you to find exactly what you need, which will find happiness for you. And then you go to the altar and you, you give your worship and then you leave looking like the model that you are supposed to look like. That's a story that is shaping you. And I found it interesting as I took my little six-year-old girl, I tried to imagine what does she see as important and that is shaping her in these moments. Because there's certain habits and practices that are shaping who we are in the story of God. So as you go to the mall, as you hear the story of consumerism that shapes us all, it's hard for us to believe sometimes that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Tonight, maybe the single greatest reflection of American culture that you can find. It's the Super Bowl. Kicks off at 5.30. Many of you are going to go to parties. I hope you come. My, my Sunday school class comes out to my party in force and the weather doesn't stop you. I love the Super Bowl. I don't know how I'm not going to be able to go to the bathroom for five hours because not only can I not miss the game, I can't miss the commercials, right? This is who we are as Americans. We are the Super Bowl. There's nothing more American than the Super Bowl. It's, it's who we are, Right? got Peyton Manning on your left. He's about to throw a touchdown pass to Demarius Thomas. Or it's going to be intercepted by the guy on the right and Richard Sherman. He's going to take it back to the house, right? By the way, I'm saying the word Super Bowl. I think that's trademarked. I should be saying the words big game. My apologies to the FCC or anybody listening on this podcast recording. If this is against what I'm supposed to be saying, I, re I respect the trademark Super Bowl. So if I, we're going to be talking about the big game. Any infringements, please contact Pastor Senior Pastor John Mindorf when it comes to uh, <laughs> any copyright infringements of any pictures or video uh, of this service. We thank you. Uh, so tonight, we'll gather around our television sets, and we're going to be learning about a particular story. Um, and it's a story that of the gridiron, where greatness wins, and we're being sold the best commercials all year long. And there's habits and practices that go into who we are, and they're shaping and they're defining us. And it's hard for us in the middle of the Super Bowl to remember, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Or even in the midst of a real conflict where strength always wins, it's hard for us to believe, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. See, all of these stories are counter to what we hear throughout the Gospel of Matthew as God is trying to shape 
a new way of being in the world through his son Jesus. There's four different passages in Matthew that articulate God's, Jesus, God and Jesus is trying to remind his people, hey guys, this is a new kingdom, a new world. And Matthew 19.30 says, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Again in chapter 20, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Earlier in Matthew, in Matthew 10, you've got the words, those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. And again, in Matthew 16, you've got, for those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who want to lose their life for my sake will find it. Jesus seems to have everything backwards in the upside-down kingdom of God that goes against our very understanding of how we are supposed to operate in the world because the stories around us that we encounter each and every week are so powerful and so shape who we are, it's easy for us to forget that it's not about finding our life but losing it. That it no, it's not when we're first but when we're last. And that reality is so difficult to understand because the forces at work and the stories that are shaping us in our daily habits and practices are so strong that it's hard to see the light of the kingdom. In all of our Gospels, but especially in Matthew, he has an idea that kids may get it better than we do as adults, especially as disciples. In Matthew 18, verses 2 and 3, this is what it says. This is about Jesus. He called the child, whom he put among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. See, sometimes kids may get this a little bit more than we do. Look at this incredible artwork. Our children's uh, ministry through Pastor Lisa and one of our great interns in Avarella and Fuso put this together this week. Um, it's incredible. Um, I can't get over their imagination to create this for us. The spaceship needs to go next week, and so it's going to go on a tour. I believe it's going to the children's um, natural, well, where's it going to go? The Science Museum, that's right, the Science Museum, museum down, um, down in Oklahoma City. But it's going to be an incredible reminder for us. And so I've got one last illustration, and it's about a kid. It's about my kid. She's not here. Uh, she's back in children's church, so I can talk about her. I believe pastors in the room, I get to talk about my kids until they come to be, actually be in the sanctuary. Is that right? I get to talk to my kids? Okay, good. Um, my daughter's playing basketball for the second year in a row. And this year she's playing um, in a league called Upward. And uh, you get a wristband uh, to say who you're going to guard. Uh, so there's five different color wristbands. They've got green, yellow, blue, orange, and red. Um... And the uh, night before her first game, she came to me and she said, hey, Dad, if I get a green wristband, it's going to be okay because I can be a duck. <laughs> and if I get a yellow wristband, it's going to be okay because I can be a thunder. No, I can, I can be a duck. So okay, good. We've got that covered. She knows which kingdom she belongs to. She's a duck. <laughs> green or yellow, she's fine. Daddy, if I get a blue wristband, it's okay because I can be a thunder. Yeah, that's right. If I get an orange wristband, then I can be a thunder too. I said, honey, you're doing perfect. 
this is how you are to go about the world. <laughs> but Daddy, if they give me a red wristband, that's the heat. <laughs> and I can't be a heat. <laughs> and she's got it figured out. She's been taught well. And I looked at her and said, honey, they can make you wear that red wristband. But you're not a heat. You know in the bottom of your heart, you'll always be a duck. And you'll always be a thunder. The world may tell you how to live. The world may tell you how to live. You may go to school and there's going to be stories that shape you about you're supposed to look a particular way. Right now, my daughter has no idea what's going on. This happens all the time. I'm in this, you know, I'm in, about to cry telling my daughter, someday you're going to grow up and you're going to be in middle school. And the world's going to tell you that you have to look a particular way and behave a particular way if you're going to fit in. But you don't belong to that story. When you go to high school, you're going to have pressure on you greater pressure than you've ever understood. That you have to act or look or behave in a particular way to fit in. But you don't belong to that story. That story is so, it's hard to understand the Beatitudes when there's all that pressure, right? It's hard to understand that this is the story I live into, the one that says the first are last and the last are first, where, where the meek and the mild and the peacemakers, those are the ones who win when the ones who fight and the ones who are popular and the ones who have the greatest and the ones who have and have and have and the have-nots, it's hard to understand that God is on the side of the have-nots when the pressure is always to have. It's not just about middle schoolers and high schoolers. See, I, I think that we've substituted back to even Queen Latifah, right, happiness for what it means for us as to be the defining characteristic and story of our lives, right? And so we move from self and pleasure and entertainment and sexuality in ways that define more of who we are, where we're going to be most happy, and that's when it's right. And we even sometimes Christianize that, right? And so as we live in an exile period where we live in the kingdom of God that's already and not yet, and there's so many stories that are shaping and defining who we are, it's so easy to forget who we are, what story we belong to, whose story we belong to, and how we're defined. Because that story is such an odd way to live in the world. That story is so strange and so wonderful and so mighty, it kind of takes a kid to remind us that even though with all the pressures of the world, you still can live into the kingdom. So as we close, we don't have today a list of instructions. We have an invitation. An invitation to live in a new kind of kingdom in the midst of all the other kingdoms. Andrew, I don't know what you've selected for us, but we're gonna um, have a time of response. Um, and I want... Uh,
you to stand with us, and we're going to sing. And I want this time as we will open up the altars to be a place um, for you to do a variety of different things. Um, as I have been one of your pastors for almost 12 years now, I understand that many of you come to this place um, with something that has happened in your life this week that has been um, life-altering. And you came here because you just needed Jesus. And so those altars open for these moments. I don't see Walt and Lindy here this morning, but we always want to make sure that these padded altars are available um, for healing. And someone will come and find a place. And I'm just going to ask if you would just, if you see someone at those healing altars, if you would go ahead and someone with a discernment um, to anoint someone with oil and pray for them, please do that. These altars are going to be open for you for a variety of different things. And um, we're going to uh, open that up. Today you might say, uh, Jesus, I know you have a kingdom that I'm supposed to live into and it's vast and it's grand and it's odd and it's a new way to be alive, but the other kingdoms have so choked out my understanding of your kingdom that I think that as I've been living in this exile sort of time in my life, I've been defined more by the other kingdoms than by your kingdom. And God, I want to remember again what it means for me um, to be defined by your story. Also, I want to give you some of you the first time to be able to say yes to Jesus. Um, Matthew is a perfect opportunity to do that. Pastor John, in his first sermon series when he was a pastor here six years ago, was Matthew, Fit Your Feet for Discipleship. Some of you remember that sermon series. And each and every week, he gave people the opportunity to say yes to Jesus and to join him in the story. We don't want to make sure, we want to make sure we don't take any um, uh, assumptions about your life in Christ. Some of you may be here and said, you know what? I've never really said yes to the author of that story that I want to give my life to that person. And I don't know what it's going to look like. It's going to be scary, but I want to come to this altar and say, yes, Jesus, I give myself to you in this odd way, new way of living in the world. So that space is for you as well. Let's stand and I'm going to pray and then Andrew will lead us in song and we'll continue in prayer. Jesus, we give our lives to you. posture of prayer is most comfortable with you. You can kneel at your pew there. You can sit down and remain standing or come and join anyone here at this altar of prayer as you move into a time of prayer. Jesus, we thank you for your story and ask God that it would define all of who we are. Jesus, may we find ourselves in the midst of all the competing narratives out there that shape and form us and all the habits and practices that we just go about and live because we live here. God, I ask that you would ground and root us in your, your story. The story of your death and resurrection. The story of your life, of the kingdom, where the new age has dawned. So God, I ask that you would give us the courage and the imagination in the midst of all the competing narratives to live into your story. Jesus, I do want to give an opportunity for those who've never said yes to be able to respond and say, Jesus, I, boy, I've never said yes, or I want to say yes again to you and the power that is found in following after you. The power looks a little bit different than the world. It's a power nonetheless. It's the greatest power of all. So Jesus, together, we say yes to you 
as you continue to invite us along on your story. We want to spend a few moments in prayer for those who need a specific touch from you, Jesus, and we want to pray now as a congregation for Jerry and Mary Ann Bell. Jerry has been able to move back and move into Concordia for the first time where Mary Ann is moving in different areas, but they're at Concordia. And God asks that you would continue to strengthen and touch Jerry Bell as he comes out of his time in rehab in a hospital. We ask God you would strengthen this incredible man. Lord, we ask you to be with some of the littlest among us, like Olive, Logan, who's been in Salt Lake this week, getting everything worked out as she continues to correct her infant scoliosis. And God, I ask you to continue to come alongside this process through nurses and doctors in these braces to continue to heal her body. As my wife was over praying with Kelly, asked that you be with my little girl, Berkeley, as she undergoes surgery tomorrow on her ears to put tubes in her ears. And ask God that you, with you doctors and nurses and medicine, would heal this little girl and all of her ear infections. I want to give space and time in your life to know you know someone who needs a specific healing touch, a physical touch from God for their body. I want to give a, a moment of silence for you to think of that person and ask God that you would heal the person in your life who you know needs a touch from God. You probably know people in your life that need a relational healing. There's a conflict, a broken relationship probably quickly thought of that even in the pit of your stomach as I mentioned those words, but think of someone or yourself with a relational conflict that needs healing and pray for healing in that particular area in these few moments of silence. in the new odd way of the kingdom without taking time and space to pray for our enemies. God's got everything backwards. So we take time to pray for those people. Our enemy or our opposite, people we struggle with. Pray for their lives in this moment in space and time. outside and see the coldness. Lord, I want us to take time and remember those who are incarcerated. Those who are cold and lonely. Ask God you'd be with some of our friends like Jimmy, and Shamika, and Michael, and Matthew. you would come alongside those in our neighborhood who are cold, who are lonely. Help us understand, God, that's right where you are. Right where we come alongside you. Jesus, transform us into a people 
who believe this prayer as we live into these words. And we're going to pray this morning the Lord's Prayer using debts and debtors. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Like us on Facebook at Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene. Or follow us on Twitter at OKC First Church.